Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk. It's been a few weeks since we've done this. Uh, it's been a very busy time and trying to wrap our minds around all that's happening in our world today. But I want to share with you about achieving success, very prevalent, particularly coming from the Messianic perspective in the world today, because everyone wants to succeed at something. No one wakes up in the morning and thinks, well, I'd like to be a failure today. We all want to succeed. However, oftentimes the definition of success is not crystal clear. What does being successful actually mean? Is it being rich, famous, being promoted to vice president, achieving uh, objectives outlined by your boss, or is it just being happy with what you do? The answer to that question is, (laughs) it depends. It depends on your personal outlook and your value system. It depends on your morality. It doesn't matter how you define personal success. The key is to be able to achieve it. There's a few principles that will enhance your chance to achieve success. As you define it, it will increase dramatically. First and foremost, number one, becoming patient without having reached your personal goals yet. Whatever those are, two-year goals, three, five-year goals, you've got to become impatient that you've not got there yet and strive to reach it. Number two, make sure you're crystal clear on exactly what success means to you. Listen, you've got to write down the vision. It's so important to write it down. Where are you going? What are you doing? And how are you going to get there? you got to be crystal clear on what the objectives are so that you can actually achieve it and get that success. Number three, create an action plan that outlines the steps, the foundations, what you have to do to achieve this success and identify the milestones along the way. This gives you guidance and the ability to make course corrections when necessary. This gives you the foundation or the overlay that if you get off track, and and I'm going to pause here for a second because in 20 years of ministry, we've had a very focused goal and what steps it was necessary for us to achieve success, although we have strayed from that path. In 20 years, we've got involved in things that literally had nothing to do with what God has ordained and called us to do. And we've gotten off track. But by writing this down, by having an action plan that outlines where you're going and the steps necessary to get there, you can overlay this on what you're doing, and it will give you the correction. It'll give you the insight that, hey, we've strayed, we've wandered. We've got to get back on the track here and do exactly what God ordained and called us to do. Next, number four, you have to execute. you got to make things happen. Listen, many can aim and find the target but few are able to pull the trigger and get it done. Don't kid yourself. Don't believe that success just somehow happens. It just doesn't fall on you from heaven. God doesn't hit you with a magic magic success wand. It takes hard work. You've got to create the success you want. You've got to get off your tuchus and do something about it. Number five, allocate time every day. And this is this is one of the most critical things of all the Kadima talks we've done. I've mentioned this several times. You've got to read something. You've got to spend several hours a day that will do self-improvement. You've got to understand where your weak areas are and what your strong areas are. You've got to, be, listen, uh, you can spend 80% of your time in your weak areas and improve it by 4 to 5%. If you take that same time and put it into your strong areas, you can increase yourself 80, 90, 100, 110%. So your weak areas, you bring people around you that are strong in your weak areas, and you strive to increase your strong areas. You've got to improve yourself. You've got to do leadership books, self-development, whatever that is. I made a statement years ago. I've almost completely quit reading books 
especially theological books, I just stick with the Bible. But the few things that I do read are self-improvement, their leadership. I'm always honing those skills in improving myself to be a better leader, a better congregation leader. That way, the staff grows, the congregation grows, everyone benefits through this. So you've got to allocate time daily to do this. Number six, you've got to work on effective communications. If you don't know where you're going, let me rephrase that. If you know where you're going, but you can't communicate it to the congregation or to your leadership team, then you're not going anywhere. You've got to have effective communications. You've got to be able to relay this to the team, to the congregation, that they can come along with you and be part of the team to reach that success. Number seven, you got to believe in yourself. Surround yourself with positive people and get away from those that are negative. You got to think positive. I come, you know, in the ministry, we call those life suckers. And we've had a few of them come through here through the years that always, always the black cloud is hanging over them and everything's terrible and no one ever treats them right. And I want to disassociate myself from negative people who think that way. I want to be positive. I want to believe, yes, God, you called me. We can do this. We're going to do this. And you got to surround yourself with people who think the same way, who think positive. Number eight, respond to and be open to constructive feedback from those who you love and you trust. There's always room for improvement. So you've got to be open for constructive criticism. Listen, I've gotten these over the year, and I'm, I'm going to be frank. This will sound a little crude, but I've gotten emails and phone calls, and people say, uh, you stink. Uh, okay. Well, you know, what does that mean? They don't like my voice. They don't like the way I comb my hair. They don't care for it. it, it now, I've had another one where someone called our first week in, in radio, and the guy was really mad. He said, listen, and, and let me tell you what I did. Rather than saying Revelation 5.16, I said Revelations, and that infuriated him. And he was mad, and he called me on the phone. He said, you sound like a buffoon. Every time you say Revelations, it's the book of Revelation. He's like, go look it up. And so, you know, I got to admit, my face got a little flush. I'm like, what? But I opened up the Bible, and guess what? It's the book of Revelation not revelations, that has stuck 15 years ago. That has stuck with me like a tick on a hound. That has never left me. So I always pronunciate revelation, not revelations. And so that kind of constructive feedback is useful and helps you grow and improve yourself. Number nine, seek out a coach or a mentor. Seek out someone. Listen, if you're, if you're getting into business, you, you want to talk to someone who's been in business successfully for 35 or 40 years. If, you need, if you're first getting married in your first year or two of marriage, you don't want to talk to your peers that have also been married for a year or two because they don't have any wisdom or insight. If you're having marital problems, you want to talk to someone who's been married 25, 35, 45 years who have been there, done that, and made a few of those T-shirts. So you got to look to the gray hairs for wisdom. And, and it doesn't mean that young people don't have wisdom and knowledge and can't lead, but you've got to be mentored or coached by someone who's been down that path and can keep you from those common mistakes that everyone else makes, and you'll rise to success quicker with that assistance. And lastly, number 10, don't be afraid to fail. We call this failing forward. is one of the greatest learning experiences in the world. I want to digress for a second uh, to my 22 years in the Navy, and this is one of the great things I learned from the submarine force. Whenever we had an incident, whenever something went wrong, whenever we broke a piece of equipment, whenever we somehow operated outside the guidelines that we were supposed to, we would always pause, get all those who were involved, garner all the facts, investigate, and then we would have a debrief about what happened. How did this happen? How do we get to this place? What failures? What do we need to put 
in place to prevent this from happening. Why did this piece of equipment break? Was it operator error? Was it equipment error? Was a ship's operating uh, procedures wrong? And we put the whole thing together, and the purpose is to learn from our failure. Might somebody be in trouble? Sometimes, sometimes not. Generally, what I appreciated with the submarine force, we were truly fine to find out truth and prevent us from ever doing that again. So it listen, everyone fails. Don't be afraid of it, but learn from it and say, how do we get here? Because many people will fail and never try again. But for those who are successful people, either in the business realm or ministry, you find out that they failed three or four times in their life before they got to that place of success. But they learn from those failures what not to do. It's one of the greatest learning experiences in the world. So to find success, try to find ways to help other people accomplish their objectives. Zig Ziglar once said that the best way to get everything you want in life is by helping other people get what they want. Focusing on success starts with helping other people. That in itself will provide focus for your success. And, and you know, all of this, even myself, it makes me think, what do you want? What do you expect? What are your goals relating to God and the congregation? This is, you know, for me. And I know that many of these things relate to you, to work, to your business, and, and that's good for you as individuals. But more importantly, it deals with our interactions and success in the kingdom of God. Achieving that success requires change. And here's an interesting subject about change. Comparing the 19, I'm going to talk about the business realm for a second, but this is, this is really staggering to me. Comparing the 1955 Fortune 500 companies to the 2020 Fortune 500 companies, listen, 500 companies, right? There are only 52 companies that appear in both lists and have remained on that list since it started. And in other words, only 10.4% of the Fortune 500 companies in 1955 have remained on that list during the 65 years uh, since 2020. More than 89% of the companies from 1955 have either gone bankrupt, merged with, or acquired by another firm. Or they still exist but have fallen from the top Fortune 500 companies, and that's ranked by total revenues, in one year or more. Why is that? Because they failed to change. Kodak in Rochester, New York, was one of the biggest companies in America. When digital photography came to pass in the early 2000s, Kodak believed it would take 20 years to catch on. They were the world's largest producer of film, 35-millimeter film, 6-millimeter film, 6x4. They did it all. Matter of fact, they almost had a monopoly on the market. You know, film paper, if you did black and white photos, if you did color photos, they sold it all. They were a billion, almost a trillion-dollar company. But this concept that it would take 20 years for digital uh, photography to catch on, they were dead wrong. Though they got involved in digital photography, Kodak was still implicitly married to an outdated business model that relied on people printing their photos. What Kodak missed, what they ignored, what they didn't catch on to was that the dynamics of photography had radically changed. There was a radical paradigm shift. Digital photography is about the freedom from printing. People don't print photos anymore. They share photos. They post them online on Facebook or IG. Almost nobody prints pictures anymore. This concept is critical to the greater body of Messiah, to the church, to those who are espousing the good news. Listen, the foundations of the gospel of the good news never change, but the methods do. And to keep relevant, we need to learn how to change. We're not called to live a static life. 
Rather, we're commanded to bend to God's will, which requires daily change. And this daily change results in personal growth with the Lord. Responding to God involves change so that we may go where he is leading. The kingdom of God is forever moving. It's forever expanding. So the minute we become static, the minute we become entrenched and say, hey, this is the aha moment, we found it, the kingdom has already moved on. You're already no longer relevant. The Bible is a progressive book. It's continuously unfolding before us. To remain intimate with God and not become stagnant requires us to constantly change and seek him at the next level. So why do so many believers today fail to respond to changes God directs? I'm glad you asked. We're going to go over a few of them. First, many lack the motivation, the desire, or the will to change. Matthew 18, verse 3, Yeshua said, Yes, I tell you that unless you change and become like little children, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 says, I'm not writing you this to make you feel ashamed, but as my dear children to comfort you and get you to change. Listen, people like the way it was in the old days. Oh, I remember we used to do this back in the 90s. Remember we used to do this back in the 2000s? Well, that was back in the 2000s. And like Kodak, the model has changed. We can't hold on to those old models. We've got to change and adapt ourselves to the ever-changing kingdom. He who rejects change is the architect of decay. The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. That's a quote by Harold Wilson. Next, people desire to change, but they can't let go of the past or the familiar. You know, what we call these familiar spirits or soul ties. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, the Lord says, Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I'm doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I'm making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. I got invited here, I forget when this was, 2005 or six. And I, listen, I don't want to mention specific names of ministries, uh, but they were. it was a 100-year commemoration of a profound outpouring of the Holy Spirit in California. And so now there was a group of people involved. Now, I want you to hear my heart for a second. They're going back to where this thing had previously been done. Nothing had happened there in uh, 60 or 70 years. But they go back to the spot. They rent stadiums. Listen to me. $25 million plus they spent on this. It was a circus, a dog and pony show. All the top speaking heads, all the top Christian ministry acts were there. And they spent three or four days commemorating something that happened 100 years ago. And guess what happened at the end of it? Yeah, you got it. Nothing. Nothing. There was no new outpouring. There wasn't fresh fire from heaven. We spent $25 million looking back on a past event brooding over this event that had gone by when the Lord says, I'm doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? John F. Kennedy said, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Next, why don't people change? They're not intimate with God. Therefore, they're estranged from his wills and desires and where he's going. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12, at that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other, Many false prophets will appear and fool many people, and many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah. We call this apostasy. God is always moving, but if you're not intimate with him, if you don't stay with him, if you don't cleave unto him, he moves on, and then we're outside his will and his desire. People fear change next because they're too comfortable. 
And this is a great issue we have in the greater body of Messiah. In fact, it's my message for Shabbat tomorrow. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Apathy, wealth, prosperity, complacency is incredibly detrimental to the kingdom of God and to those who are serving God. People seek security and comfort over going out in harm's way and sharing the good news. People don't want to change because they don't want their comfort levels to change. They don't want their status, their symbols, their cars. They don't want to lose their wealth. They don't want to take a risk because they're incredibly comfortable. And this comes with wealth and prosperity and affluence. America, the richest country in the world, is plagued by this. I'm not saying money and riches are bad, uh, but it becomes a large distraction and sways us from what we should be doing in the kingdom of God. We are to be vessels of change, sharing the kingdom and espousing change everywhere we go. People fight change because it affects them personally. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 15, but don't consider him an enemy. On the contrary, confront him as a brother and try to help him change. Change must be understood from the kingdom perspective. God declares he is the potter, we are the clay. We must be willing to change at the potter's hands to be whatever he wants us to be. Isaiah 64, verse 8 says, But now, Adonai, you are our father, we are the clay. You are a potter, and we are all the work of your hands. You know, I've witnessed and experienced uh, in my time as a congregation leader that when we're in worship, when it's particularly strong and the portals of heaven are open and God is really doing something, his presence is there, the Holy Spirit is there, people begin squirming. People get up and start going to the restroom, and they start walking around. They go out in the hallways. They go to talk to somebody in the lobby. And, and I, I've pondered that for years till I understood this, this very concept. They're becoming uncomfortable because God is now confronting them to change. Whatever it is that's within them, the Holy Spirit's bringing revelation, and th- they're fighting this. They get up and they leave. Can you believe this? They're leaving the presence of God, but they actually do it. Why? Because they're fearing change. It if, it's going to affect them personally, and they don't want to change. That person who was by the water in John chapter 4, that was waiting for something to stir the waters, which isn't even in the Scripture, he'd been there for 38 years. Can I share with you that when Yeshua approached him and said, would you be made whole? He never answered Yeshua. We get comfortable in our dysfunction. We get comfortable in our disabilities when in reality, God wants to invade your life with the supernatural and bring about great change, healing, and restoration. 